The funeral for Chico Mendez was held on Christmas Day, 1988, and it was a somber affair. And on the day of his funeral, the funeral procession, it rained a lot. More than a thousand people gathered in the steady rain of the Amazon rainforest. Friends from Acre poured in to mourn their fallen hero, and journalists, celebrities, and politicians flew in from all over the world. The community of activists that Chico had built spanned continents, nationalities, and ideologies. Rubber tappers mingled with international figures in a small town for multiple days. The funeral united the defenders of the forest. They were heartbroken and thirsty for justice. Everyone was very impacted and very hurt, and we buried him. In a letter to a friend before his death, Chico had written, I don't want flowers at my funeral, because I know they would be taken from the forest. Chico's heart beat in rhythm with the trees and rivers of his home, until that fateful day in 1988. The last interview Chico gave to a journalist in Rio de Janeiro, on December 11, 1988, he said that if an angel would come down from heaven and say to him that his death would help save the Amazon, he would die gratefully. Everyone knew that Chico was prepared to make that ultimate sacrifice. But privately, he felt he could be more effective alive than dead, that his fight might be lost if he was killed. Before his death, he'd said, it's not with big funerals and demonstrations of support that we are going to save the Amazon. I want to live. Tragically, he died thinking that was the end of the line for his quest. But he was wrong. In the end, I think that was perhaps the only prediction that he missed. Because effectively, the murder of Chico called the eyes of the world to the Amazon. And that was a big strategic mistake by the ranchers. The effect was the other way around. They thought killing Chico would end everything. But in truth, he drew the attention of the world here. It became a massive international media event. The day after his murder, Chico appeared on the front page of the New York Times. An article in the New York Times demanding a punishment. That's when the national press said, what happened? And who's Chico Mendes? Who's this guy leading the New York Times? Suddenly, everyone was hearing the name Chico Mendes. And through him, learning about the plight of the Amazon. Uh, the people uh, who ordered Chico Mendes' assassination had, had had any idea of what the repercussions were going to be, they never would have done it. In fact, those who think they killed him have made him immortal. Chico's funeral was over. His body was in the ground. His friends filtered out of Chaparri back to their respective homes. And meanwhile, as the dust settled on the crime scene and the world was demanding justice, Darley and Darcy Alves da Silva disappeared into the jungle, and a manhunt was underway.
Welcome to Wildfire, a podcast series about fire in our world's natural spaces, hosted by myself, Graham Zimmerman, and Jim Aikman. In this season of Wildfire, we've been exploring the complex history of fire in the Amazon rainforest. This is episode six, our final episode, in what has been a truly fascinating journey. At this point in the show, we've covered a lot of ground. We learned about the childhood of Chico Mendes as a rubber tapper in the forests of the Brazilian Amazon and the horrible oppression that his people faced. We learned about Chico's education at the hands of a communist rebel and his rise to prominence in the local unions. When the modern era of development and deforestation in the Amazon showed up on Chico's doorstep, he rose up to the challenge and fought back starting the peaceful Empache protests, forming a new alliance with the indigenous people of the Amazon, and creating the extractive reserves, all of which were uniquely successful at slowing the deforestation, but not stopping it. Then he was catapulted onto the international stage, visiting politicians, banks, and lawmakers from around the world. And finally, back at his home in the town of Chaparri, we learned about the tragic death of Chico Mendes at the hands of the Alves da Silva crime family. And now, nearing the end of this story, it could be easy to consider Chico's death just another murder in the Amazon, just one more victim of this war for the forest. But was it bigger than that? Was Chico bigger than that? And what came after the death of Chico Mendes? Did he succeed in protecting the forest? What is going on in the Amazon today? And finally, what happened to his killers? Thank you for joining us on Wildfire. As the killers scattered and everyone feared that Chico would just be swept under the rug, one question remained. Would justice be served? Before his death, Chico had said, I only want my assassination to put an end to the impunity of the gunman. But that was not guaranteed. There was an enormous and corrupt legal apparatus standing in the way. More than 1,000 murders in the Amazon had gone unprosecuted. So how would this be any different? Yes, that's uh, very sad. Unfortunately, the majority of those that are engaged in murdering local people, leaders, are protected by the most powerful people in the regions, you know. And yet, despite the impunity previously enjoyed by the gunmen in the Amazon, Chico's murder set something unprecedented into motion. A thorough investigation. Police set up roadblocks, performed house-to-house searches, and a sweep of the forest by more than a hundred officers. And the Alves family was in shock like a bully who'd been finally caught red-handed. Sebastião, the oldest, denied any involvement in the murder, but he did say that Chico was asking for it. He said to the press, Chico always used to say that if his death would be a solution for Amazonia, he'd be happy to die. Kill me, come here and kill me. My chest is open. On the other end of the family tree, Darcy Alves, the trigger man, ultimately confessed and turned himself in on December 26th, just four days after the shooting. He was 21 years old at the time, coerced into killing Chico by his father, Darley, the Mandante, 
or mastermind. But Darley himself fled into the jungle with 60 federal agents, 60 military cops, and 30 civil cops, plus dogs and helicopters. There were multiple shootouts and dramatic confrontations. Eventually, Darley came out of hiding on January 7, 1989, about two weeks after Chico's death. Despite his escape being an obvious admission of guilt, Darley claimed innocence, even blaming the environmental community. He said, if you ask me who killed Chico, I think it's people from his union. The people who gained from this are Chico's friends, the ones who were really close to him, the people who knew his value. But he wouldn't get off that easy. A trial date was set, and both Darley and Darcy were in police custody. And the drama didn't end there. The Alves da Silvas had powerful friends and allies in the police and courts, as well as their dozens of gunmen who were still freely tormenting Chaparri. The trial kept getting delayed as potential witnesses were killed, and the Alveses pulled their strings. At one point, Darley and Darcy even escaped from jail, cutting their way through the thin bars of their cell. They were quickly recaptured and put in a higher security facility, where they would wait another two years to stand trial. Meanwhile, in the court of public opinion, word of Chico's death continued to spread around the Amazon. His message suddenly thrust into the collective consciousness. And miraculously, things started to improve. His life's work became a legacy of progress that extended well beyond December 22, 1988. In death, Chico accomplished more than he ever could have in life. He transcended from a warrior for the forest to a mythical status. He became an icon. He crossed that heroic threshold into the history books. With his death, there really was a stabilization, a certain improvement. During our time in Chaparri, Graham and I saw the legacy of Chico Mendez everywhere we looked. His face was plastered on buildings, multiple shrines, and his name still fluttered around town, affectionately pronounced Chico Menge. It seemed like everyone had a personal relationship and special stories from his life. And his grave was still adorned with flowers and mementos when Graham and I visited it with Gomercindo. We're arriving at the Chaparri Cemetery with Gomercindo to visit Chico. Que linda. And this is Chico Mendes' grave right here? Yes. Yes, it is. This is where you had the funeral. Powerful, powerful place. All of our research, all of our interviews and exploration and investigation was finally culminating into a complete understanding of what Chico had changed in the Amazon. The first thing was nonviolence. Like Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. before him, Chico left a legacy of peaceful resistance. The Empaches lived on in the Amazon, and the number of killings decreased significantly. I believe he was a great symbol of resistance, where few had a voice, and he was able to be heard. The second was the incredible alliances that he'd built in the forest ending centuries of conflict between the indigenous people and the rubber tappers, and bringing compassion and resources from organizations around the world. God, Chico's legacy is, is, God, is beyond 
any legacy I've seen, you know, in all these years in the Amazon. I mean, he was quite special. Just his vision of uniting people instead of uh, fighting on for the, his own struggle, I think that was kind of very unique and powerful. And I don't see this happening too much. Thirdly, deforestation of the Amazon dropped precipitously. He was able to have the visibility of what preservation was and meant, and the importance of preserving our forests and the environmental factors of our country. The Brazilian government enacted new environmental programs and policies, created the Division of Ecology and Human Rights, and more extractive reserves and national parks. Helicopters were dispatched to patrol the Amazon looking for fires and illegal activity. World banks shifted funding from deforestation and road construction to environmental efforts. So much changed. So all the positive uh, indicators that Brazil developed in terms of conserving the forest uh, are based on what we learned from Chico Mendes. Still, what Chico Mendes have showed us is the best picture we can have. Finally, and most important for Chico, the rubber tappers were in a better position to control their own destiny than they'd ever been. A government agency was created to help the tappers enrich their economy. They received international support from the Netherlands Embassy and the Ford Foundation. Even Ben and Jerry's introduced a Brazil nut ice cream flavor that benefited the people of the forest. But there was still one more battle to fight. The trial of Darley and Darcy Alves da Silva finally occurred in 1990, two years after Chico's death, and a crowd of hundreds gathered outside the courthouse. A prosecutor addressed the jury, saying, the Alves da Silvas are not a common family. For them, violence is their emblem. They kill for nothing. They are responsible for a rosary of crimes. In the end, the jury convicted Darley and Darcy of murder and sentenced each of them to 19 years in prison. It was the first time in history that a pistolero and mandante were given the same prison term. It was a historic legal victory that rippled throughout Brazil. My name is Francisco Mendes Filho, but I'm popularly known as Chico Mendes. We knew we didn't want to end this show without being able to actually hear from Chico, to hear his voice and let him contribute. And then we met Miranda Smith, who directed the film Voice of the Amazon, and captured an interview with Chico weeks before his death at his home in Chaparri. The following is taken from that interview. In these past 15 years in which I've been working, there have always been moments that weren't easy. I've always encountered and confronted serious problems. But our movement was peaceful. Our movement was not one that wanted the spilling of blood. On the contrary, 
It was a movement that attempted to make public opinion aware of the grave problems that we were confronting head on. This was the only way in which to resist. Finally, it's time to take a look at the Amazon today. After Chico's assassination, many hoped that this murder would be the catalyst that was needed to save the forest and to change the world's relationship with the Amazon rainforest. And for many years, it was. But sadly, in today's world, it's hard not to feel both bewilderment and frustration looking at the news in which we see the burning increasing again, year by year. The memory of Chico faded, and as the world passed into the 21st century, human-made fires crept back into the forest at an alarming rate. And in the fall of 2019, when we started working on this podcast, the Amazon made headlines with the burning that could be seen from the International Space Station alongside a sinister outlook for the forest. Scientists are confident that we are nearing a tipping point, after which the forest will no longer be able to sustain itself and its systems will collapse. It will be lost, and the implications of this are immense. To learn more about this, we'll go back to our conversation with Foster Brown in Rio Branco. And so the concern on a, on a regional basis is that we could reach a point where we don't have enough water being transpired. Consequently, the forest can't maintain themselves. And if the forest can't maintain themselves, you get uh, increased dieback, you get collapse, and the process is not very pretty. Not very pretty, meaning that the forest is no longer able to maintain itself and goes into a state of collapse in which no matter how much work we do to save it, it continues to dwindle away and will be lost. And Foster made it clear that action on this is imperative. You've got to act now. You can't wait. The collapse of the rainforest would have immense ramifications for our climate and global diversity. It will also be a massive loss for future generations who will be unable to revel in that amazing ecosystem. Personally, my mind goes to another great feature of our globe, the Great Barrier Reef off the coast of Australia, which I will never be able to see in its pristine glory due to oceanic acidification. Will the Amazon be forced into that same fate by the demands of human progress? Are we really that short-sighted? During much of our time in Brazil, it felt like that's exactly where we were headed. Chico's home, which we had visited, was a clear indicator of the change of attitude in Brazil. At one point, it had been a small museum, a place where people could visit to remember his sacrifice and to reinvigorate their work. But today, it has been defunded and it has fallen into ruin with locked doors and shuttered windows. And the Alves family has returned. After the trial, Darcy and Darley Alves filed appeal after appeal claiming innocence. They were indignant and they were enraged. And in the late 90s, they were released on early probation back to Chaparri, where they still reside. And as the years have passed, conspiracy theories have gained traction that the true architects of Chico's murder were never investigated. 
that the crime went much higher than the Alves family, and they were only pawns in the schemes of larger forces at work in the Amazon. And those true masterminds may still be at large. This is all supported by the Alves family and others like them being elevated to positions of power in the government, translating their impact on the forest from criminal activity to government-sanctioned progress. And murder has also returned to the rainforest, both in Acre and elsewhere. In the state of Marañón, the Guajajara people were in an ongoing armed conflict with organizations trying to cut and burn down the forest. Their land has been described as an island of green amid a sea of deforestation. To maintain this, members of the tribe formed a group in 2012 that they call the Guardians of the Forest. Their intended purpose is to ward off logging gangs who are pillaging their reserves for rare hardwood trees. And it is turned into an all-out war. Jim and I had hoped to visit their reserve and possibly meet with their leader, Sonia Guajahara. She is a leader who has risen from this conflict as a new global figurehead in the fight for the forest. But we were told in no uncertain terms that for us to visit this area and start asking questions would be to put our lives at risk. To drive this point home, multiple murders of forest guardians were reported while we were in Acre. And while it has been underpublicized, we heard reports that violence has also returned to Acre, where murders are once again on the rise. Our research painted a bleak future for the Amazon, one in which violence and burning escalate until there is nothing left over which to fight. Compounding this fact, the politics in Brazil only become a larger mess, increasing the size of the problems. I found myself dismayed. And as somebody who does not have a vote in Brazil, I found myself lacking in actionables to create change. That is until I sat down with Christian Poirier from the organization Amazon Watch. Amazon Watch is a nonprofit organization based in San Francisco, founded in 1996 to protect the rainforest and advance the rights of indigenous people in the Amazon rainforest. As part of their mission, they partner with indigenous and environmental organizations in campaigns for human rights, corporate accountability, and the preservation of the Amazon's ecological systems. Christian is their program director and has been coordinating their work in Brazil since 2009. He got straight to the point. Well, first we need to recognize the forest as a critical buffer against runaway climate change and therefore of, an, of critical importance to our collective future and our collective well-being. With that in mind, we need to do everything we can to keep the forest standing and not destroy the forest for short-term economic gain that benefits but a few people. In short, we cannot allow the business-as-usual scenario to continue to play out or we will lose the Amazon and it'll cross a critical tipping point. He then explained why the perspective of forest-dwelling communities like the indigenous and the rubber tappers is so important and how his organization is leaning into empowering them. The Amazon is not a primeval forest that is often regarded. Uh, it is, in some places, a garden that has been tended by indigenous peoples for millennia. He shared that on a global scale, indigenous people represent 4% of the planet's population and yet they steward 80% of the planet's biodiversity. It is in the state it is in, in indigenous territories because these people 
who live there understand how to maintain it. And we need to learn from them. He and his organization see leaning into this indigenous knowledge as the path towards solutions for saving the rainforest. Leaders like Sonia and leaders like Chico Mendes, they come from the forest. They understand it. They can have influence on decision makers, be them political or um, corporate. Um, and in that way, uh, can, can shape change. This was all gratifying to hear because it lined up perfectly with what we had found during our research and travel. But it still left out what we can do from the U.S., besides donating to organizations like Amazon Watch. This is what I most wanted to get at in our interview. And Christian did not disappoint. So we need to understand how we are complicit in what is happening today first. And with that information, we are empowered because that will give us the ability to leverage these companies that are currently part of the problem and push them to become part of the solution. He then laid out how we as individuals outside of Brazil can affect change. Uh, so we're trying to understand the levers that will be more effective in the, in the short term. And what they have found is that... So any person who wants to get involved has the ability to push its municipality, or the, the private sector that is enabling this behavior. But we need to be armed with the facts. According to the research completed by Amazon Watch, understanding the ways that we invest and spend our money, both institutionally and individually, is our best way to affect change. It's our money that they're using to invest in destruction. They have published this work in a series of papers titled Complicity in Destruction. They are linked in the show notes. I highly recommend that you check them out. He finished our interview with a simple and important statement. We need to keep the forest standing and we need to maintain ecological balance or we will ourselves die. So that's why it's so important that we continue to focus on forests today and all that they imply for us because they are a critical pillar, a critical solution to our well-being in the future, be it on the climate or be it in our health. This felt like a clear path forward a way to both honor the legacy of Chico Mendes and to preserve the Amazon. And it showed that there is hope for the rainforest. But that hope will not be realized without intention and action. As we near the end of this season of wildfire, we've tried to provide some ways that we can all better protect the Amazon rainforest. But I also want to comment on the profound personal impact that this project has had on Graham and me over the last two years of producing it. A lot has happened in that time. And under it all was this immense responsibility of doing the story justice. Especially now, with the Alves family back on the streets, criminal figures in power in local and federal government positions, the fires in the Amazon back to an all-time high and the world facing an unprecedented environmental crisis, the situation in the Amazon is back in the desperate throes of chaos. And I realized that this fight, this war for the forest, will never truly end. No matter how many different figures like Chico stand up against corruption and greed, there will always be more battles to fight. As with every environmental struggle all over the planet, each victory spawns new conflicts new resource exploitation, new corporations to monitor, new evils to confront. That's why the world needed Chico Mendez and why it needs more. 
the next Chico, and the next, and the next. To always protect the precious life on this planet that keeps it spinning, especially the Amazon. In the beginning of this season, we asked a question. Where does the fantasy of the Amazon end and the reality begin? And I realized that for me, and Graham, and Chico, and Gomercindo, and Elenira, and everyone that's listening, the Amazon is much more than a place. Like Chico, it's an icon, a symbol of the natural world, and a living monument to the grand, limitless potential of our planet. And that is where the fantasy and reality meet, at the intersection of our understanding of the Amazon and our love for it. Because if we lose it, we're losing more than the trees and biodiversity. We also lose our commitment to nature as something precious and divine, something worth protecting. It dies in our imaginations, and there's no coming back from that. That is no way to honor Chico's legacy, and I, for one, am joining the fight. We can't run away from this fight. We're in a moment in which the commitment is growing constantly. There is nothing else that we can do. We must take the fight forward. And we are certain that this problem is going to continue for a long time. Here at the end of our second season of Wildfire, we find ourselves at an important point of reflection. It is here where we get to choose what we do with the memory of Chico Mendes. Here in the United States, his name has faded into history, and those who were not directly impacted may have never even heard whispers of it. One of our primary goals with this show has been to make the case for bringing his name back to the surface of our collective memories. We hope that it will incite both awareness and action to save the rainforest, to be more respectful of the indigenous stewards of the land, and to remember that we are all connected in this effort to preserve our wild spaces and clear air. If you find yourself called to learn more about Mendes, the Surui, or the current state of the Amazon, we highly recommend that you look at the show notes, where we've laid out a couple of recommendations for next steps. We would also highly recommend watching Miranda Smith's film, Voice of the Amazon. Jim and I want to thank REI for being willing to take on this story. And we want to thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. The podcast Wildfire Season 2 is a production of REI Co-op Studios, Bedrock Filmworks, and Podpeak. The show is written and produced by Jim Aikman and myself, Graham Zimmerman, with additional production support from Chelsea Davis at REI. Editing, sound design, and theme music are by Evan Phillips. 